Hey, everybody. You're listening to the Legacy Church Podcast. Legacy Church is a multi-generational church that exists to worship God, become like Jesus, and bring hope to our community. Today, we're sharing a message from our current series. We believe that the Word of God is powerful and has real-life application to our lives today. We hope that this message encourages you. Get connected and learn more about us by visiting our website at lgcy.church. I, I want to uh, share with you out of, out of a passage. And um, it's, it's interesting because last week, um, last week I was preaching in Kitchener and uh, I, I had prepared another passage the day before and, and was kind of almost done it. And I was just like, this feels just like forced. Like this doesn't, like I'm trying to just like, nah, I don't know. And so my wife said, um, I said, I just don't have time to prepare anything else. She goes, why don't you preach something, this is last week, that you've preached before. And you know, you have the notes and all that and just ask the Lord for some fresh, fresh revelation. So I said, yeah, okay, I think I'll do that. So I sat down and opened it up and um, what I wrote was not at all what my old notes had. So I ended up writing a whole second other sermon. Um, and I felt like it was very timely last week for, for Kitchener. Um, and, uh, you know, one, one of the things I've been learning in my life is, is when you ask God permission and when you ask God, is this what you want me to do? Is this what you're saying? What are you saying? He'll tell you. Like, He's, he's not hidden about his agendas. We're often hidden to him about our agendas as if he doesn't see them. He doesn't see what our intentions are. He isn't, you know, like, as if he couldn't see if I wanted to just mail in a sermon and just say an easy, like, preach an easy one. No, no, he knows. He knows. So that's why I just ask him first or else he'll start telling me what I need to hear. So um, I don't know what God's got today for this, this word, but... Um, I pray that your hearts would be open to, to how the Lord will want to challenge us today. John chapter 2 is where we're going to find ourselves, John chapter 2 today. And uh, we can throw it up on the screen, and I'll, uh, I'll read. Um, I'll read and stop, read and stop. I think that's kind of the mo- We're going to roll with that. That's, that's the setup we're going with today, read and stop. So verse 1, on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. I'm going to stop on verse 1. On the third day, the third day of the wedding. So, when my wife and I got we got married in 2011. And here's, so you understand the context of our wedding. Um, we... How do I put this? My wife and I met each other at another person's wedding. We became very good friends. We were um, Facebook messenger friends. I was touring in a band at the time and traveling, and I'd wake up in the morning to these like 20 paragraph messages about just anything. We'd talk about everything from music we liked to movies we loved, quoting quotes from Dumb and Dumber to like everything. And I, I loved waking up in the morning and I'm like, nah, she's just a friend. We're just, we're just friends. We just, 
we both love Jesus and somehow we're disconnected this way, right? Because that's what you do with just your friends. You write 20 paragraph emails, especially for guys because we don't, we don't like doing that. Now, now I'd send like a voice memo or something like that quicker. Um, but anyways, so I was traveling. Then I got off tour and uh, started working at a church in, um, in the Ajax Whitby area. And coincidentally, her family, um, she had just moved back with her parents after college. They were moving to Whitby as well. So I said, hey, um, I mean, if you need some help seeing around the metropolis of Whitby, um, I'll show you. Um, I said, here's the Walmart. There's the mall. There's coffee. There's McDonald's. We got another McDonald's on the north end, though, just in case, you know. So we started hanging out a little bit, and then... Um, she became just, next thing I knew, she's at, like, my dad's 50th birthday party. And I'm like, I didn't know you were coming. She's like, yeah, your parents invited me. I go, we've been on, like, two dates. <laughs> like, she just felt, like, my parents and, and my family, we just, it was a match. But as she um, likes to put it, she knew before I did. <laughs> and what I say is what I, what I hold true to this, to this day, this is the truth. I knew as well, but I didn't want to admit it. Because at 22, I'm like, oh my goodness, if we start dating, I know where this ends up. And people go, how did you know that? How did you know that? Because I meet young, I, I did a lot of young adults ministry. And a lot of single people in young adults ministry, in case you didn't know. A lot of single people. And um, I go, how did you know? How did you know? And to this day, I say one thing is how I knew. I said, all hell could break loose in her life. Her whole family could. She could have Job's story times 10. And she would never stop following Jesus with her life. Nothing would sway her, no matter what happened. She would be in his word every day, at church every day, giving what little she had. She would be consistent. Nothing would sway her. And I said, that's the person I want to build a life with. And so I was reluctant because I knew what happens when we start dating. And what I sensed would happen, happened. We dated six months. <laughs> we were engaged for six months. We were married and then we found out we were expecting our daughter Adelaide six weeks later. <laughs> so by the time the wedding came around, um, baby after wedding, just so you know, um, our young adults group was like not sure. But um, we, uh, <laughs> we get to the wedding planning. And how many of you remember, like, how many of you love wedding planning? You are crazy people that you put your hand in. You love wedding planning? Like, you really enjoy it. It was the worst thing in the world. I got, I got to the point where I said, we're getting a pig roast and a smoker, and we're having it in my parents' backyard. And that's what we're doing. That's what I wanted to do. Um, instead, we settled on we're going to have it at our church, and then in, like, the, you know, they had, like, a banquet hall attached to it. We had a reception with a jazz band, but we said, ceremony at 7. Cocktail and hors d'oeuvres at eight. Everybody out by 10. 
That was our wedding. To the point, right? In and out, in and out. So when I read that there's a third day to this wedding, I'm like, what in the world is happening? And what I realize is happening in this scenario is that we, we don't understand the context of, of, of what's happening in this point of time with weddings. They were these big, long celebrations. It was actually a, a massive point of honor for the family, especially for the father. It was, it was a, a, I don't know, a show and tell. It was a moment they would really... Uh, put a lot of stake into and stock into. Uh, we put a lot into birthdays and other things, and, and we still put a lot into weddings. But for the father, this was such a pivotal moment for him. In, in fact, it almost was less about the bride and more about the father. Very interesting. So, verse 2. I promise it won't take that long the whole time. And Jesus and disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. So understand this about the father. The father has not planned adequately with the amount of wine needed for a three-day bender. Party. Party. <laughs> Sorry, it's my young adult roots coming out. Um, so, in this moment, highly embarrassing for the father. Like, picture taking your, your like, extended family, everybody out to this beautiful meal, and I'm gonna, I got it, I got it. We're going to the restaurant, I got it. I just got a big promotion at work, big check. I got it, and you put your card down and it declines in front of everybody. Like, embarrassing, humiliating moment. So they come to Jesus, and, and this is a very new moment for, for Jesus and his disciples. Uh, they've really just connected. This is, this is one of the first uh, times we see them together after he has called them to, to follow him, and they find themselves at this wedding. So they're in this highly embarrassing moment. And so when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Verse four, let's go on. Woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. Now I recommend to you when you respond to your mother about anything that she asks, you don't start with woman. Um, <laughs> however, when you actually d dig into the, the translation, it's actually a very... Um, uh, honoring term that he's using in this in this moment. He's actually honoring his mother, which is insane to me that he is actually lowering himself to his earthly mother and he is savior of the world. Acknowledging his respect and honor for her is Jesus when he is Christ incarnate. Beautiful moment. He says, why do you involve me, Jesus replies, my hour has not yet come. Now, verse five throws you for a loop because um, I don't know if uh, any of you parents with younger kids have stubborn children and that you say, this is, no, we are not, go." like, his mother says to the service, watch this, do whatever he tells you. So that's like me saying to my son, hey, we're not going to Wonderland today. And he says to my, my daughter, Adelaide, he goes, she goes, get your shoes on. 
Get your shoes on. You know, weird response. Why would she say, do whatever he tells you right after he appears to have declined the miracle that's needed? Now, like, spoiler alert, the miracle happens. We, we know because literally the title in the NIV says, Jesus turns water into wine. So we know where it ends up. Spoiler. But do whatever he tells you. And I wrestled this with this for a while because I'm trying to understand what is happening in this dialogue. And, and what I find so interesting about scripture is that there's like 10 verses that I'm sharing from today. And yet there's so much packed in it. It's almost like you need to analyze every word that's going on because every word is actually so intentional. Mary's, Mary's response is do whatever he tells you. Knowing the outcome in mind, or knowing, with the outcome in mind, I have to go, did Jesus in this scenario change his mind? Was there something that happened between the request and the miracle that goes, yeah, I'll change. Yeah. Yeah, okay, maybe I will. Wasn't feeling up to it today, but maybe I will. My hour's not yet come. Yeah, maybe it has. Maybe we can bend the rules a little bit. It really, really threw me for a loop because, because as I've understood my whole life, God does not change his mind. He's sovereign. He, he makes a decision. Jesus, being fully man, fully God, would also possess those same qualities. Fully tempted by sin, but never sinned. Fully man, but yet fully God. All-knowing, yet still operating in the time and space. Which is interesting. Because if Jesus is all God, but yet operating within time and space, he's operating within process. Do you see that? So the man who spoke the earth into being has chosen to now walk within a system of laws and gravity and rules. Very interesting. Hold on to that because it's going to make, make sense in a second. Jesus' mission was, was threefold. And they all start with R. And if I was smart, I would have a really cool graphic that had all the R's down there. Um, I didn't intentionally pick R words. I just looked at it and go, oh, they all start with R. First mission, reveal. He came to reveal the heart of the Father. For so long, um, the Israelites and, and, the, and the people of Israel had this distant relationship with God. This, this kind of up and down, he loves us, he loves us not. He's, love, he's with us, he's not with us. He's mad, he's, he's mad at us, he's punishing. Oh, this up and down, up and down. Because of when sin came, there was a separation. And so God being fully just cannot handle anything that is imperfect. And yet we are imperfect. And so what ends up happening is we miss the Father's heart. Because we can't align with it. Because our sinful nature doesn't allow us to align fully with it as he intended in the garden. So Jesus came to show broken people and reveal to, the, to us in our brokenness the heart of his father and our father. He wanted to show us exactly what God's love, compassion, care looks like. Second thing, he came to restore 
He came to restore that relationship back to working order. He came to tear the veil. He came to, uh, to, to <laughs> remove the barriers between us and God. But the third thing he came to do, he came to redeem. He came to redeem mankind, buy us back. He came to take us back from the sinful grips and, and sin and death that had gripped us. He came to rip that veil wide open, go to the cross, die, rise again, and stomp on the devil's head and said, no more. No more. That's what he came to do. And then he left us with his Holy Spirit and says, you guys continue the work until I come. Jesus had a mission in mind. So everything Jesus does has to line up with this mission. Now I've put some words around it, but everything Jesus does is within his mission. So in this moment, he says, my hour has not yet come. See, Jesus is submitting to Father God in everything he does. Just as we're to submit to Father God in everything. It's like I said earlier, if you ask him, what do we do? He'll tell us. If you ask him, should, should we, what do you have for me? He'll usually reveal it. Sometimes not as clearly as you think. Sometimes it'll come in ways you didn't expect. But he'll speak. It may seem like God is silent, but he's always close. He's always waiting to speak to us. So just as we rely on instruction from the Holy Spirit, Jesus is relying on instruction from Father God. He says, my hour has not yet come. I started thinking about this. I started thinking back to some events I've, I've had in the past couple of months. See, my son London um, has become like obsessed with hockey cards, like really into hockey cards. I have a massive collection of hockey cards from when I was a kid, like boxes full. Um, and a lot of them in good shape. I've kept them in good shape and, and you know, even had them organized in binders like by teams and stuff. And um, I honestly forgot I had them. And I just had them sealed in these boxes. And, um, you know, that moment when your parents say, you still have junk in our basement and we want you to fully move out like you did 12 years ago. Like, you can no longer store your junk here. So they, they're in our garage, and then London starts getting the hockey cards, and they say, hey, you know, I have a bunch of hockey cards. And so I bring out some of them, and he goes, whoa. And he's, like, blown away. He's never seen as many in his life. And he goes, can I have some of them? And I say, of course you can. So I give him, a, you know, a bunch, and I'm being choosy on which ones I give him in this moment. And he's young, and... Um, and he goes, you know, can I have all of them? I said, one day, you can have all of them. He goes, well, one's one day. And so he keeps asking me, Dad, is... and he's so funny like this. He'll go, hey, bud, what's up? What's up? He goes, I'm just having a really rough day. I go, what's, what's bothering you, man? He goes, someone was mean to me at school today. There was a bully. And I go, oh, man. He goes, yeah, it'd really make me happy if I could have some hockey cards. <laughs> He is, he is like, he knows what he's doing. And so there is, we discovered there's this, this hockey card store or this sports card store in Kitchener. It's like one of Canada's top rated ones. I had no idea. It's by that big Tesla dealership there on the, off the highway. And so we went there and we've gone there a couple of times. And um, 
for his birthday, he wanted to go to the hockey card store. And um, so we try and go every couple weeks. And every time, it's the same thing. Like, I know I got to prep him. And we're going to go look. We're not buying anything. Because I know I got to start the preparation now for we're not buying anything. We're not buying anything. We're not buying anything. He'll get there and go, oh, dad, there's an awesome Matthews. And it's a rare one. I saw, I saw a video about it online. I'm like, no, you didn't. <laughs> like, there's no video about this online. I don't know. Maybe there is. But he's, he's, he's trying to, come on, dad. Come on. Can I get something? And here's the thing. I knew full out. The minute we got in the car, I was buying him hockey cards. It was always my intention. Because that's my heart for him. I want him to have good things. I want him to have joys in life. You know, God wants you to have good things. Doesn't always want you to have extravagant things or the greatest things, but good things. Things that are good. That's my heart for him. But what I needed him to understand in this moment was that to be a process in which we follow for the gift. It cannot be that you are just entitled to this. And this is just the default that happens. Because there's no relationship in that. That's just an exchange. Do you understand what I'm saying? For me, it's more about the process of him understanding that my heart is for him to have good things, but my heart is for him also to do it my way. Not because I'm the smartest, but I'm smarter than him. And I know what happens when you, everything you ask for in the moment you get, and there's nothing required of you. I know what happens when that happens. So for me, I need him to walk through a process with me. And in that process, a few things happen. He learns patience. He learns submission. And he learns my heart for him. Did Jesus change his mind? Or was he just trying to walk us down a bigger journey? Mary says... Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Do you mind just pouring some water in this cup for me? Thanks, man. I don't want to fiddle with the lid on the water bottle. And then if I, yeah, anyways, thank you. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Simon demonstrated that very well right there. <laughs> Whatever he tells you to do, do it. In this statement by Mary, it reveals two things. The power of expectation and the power of obedience. It appears Jesus has just denied the request. And yet Mary's instruction to the servants is, whatever he tells you to do, do it. What a simple command. One that we ought to just, like that ought to be on our wall somewhere. Whatever he, capital, tells you to do, Dot, 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 do it. There's, there's, the, 
There's the recipe to a happy life, a life full of joy. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Mary is sensing that what others might have missed in this is that I don't know what Jesus is going to do right now. But I sense he's going to do something. Why? Because I know his heart. I know what's in him. I know what he carries. I know that his heart is not for the master of ceremonies, the father, to be embarrassed by this. That's not his heart. He doesn't want that. So whatever he tells you to do, do it. She's sensing that something's about to shift in this moment. It may not look exactly like the miracle we were asking for, but get ready for something. It may not be what exactly you prayed for, but get ready. It may not happen right now, but get ready. And whatever he tells you to do, get ready to do it. There's a power in expectation when you sit there ready and say, God, I'm waiting. What's your instruction? I don't know. I don't know what this is going to be like, but I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Position your heart, position your mind in a faith stance because that expectation is what unlocks the power of heaven on earth. Living a life of expectation. Mary seems to understand this moment what many have missed in the ministry of Jesus. Many came to Jesus with their riches and their status and their positions, thinking that might move him to action. And many of us come in need of a miracle. And we bring our tithing record, our church attendance record, all the things we've done for God, all the things we've done in his name, all the good deeds we've done. And we're thinking somehow this might impress Jesus to move to action. I got to tell you, there is only one thing that impresses the heart of our God, and that is faith. He's moved by one thing, and that's faith. Mary's understanding that we need to position our hearts in a position of faith, that he's gonna do something, we just don't know what yet. He's gonna do something. We just don't know what. My biggest encouragement to you is whatever you're asking for today, whatever in your life is this shortage of wine situation for you, get ready. Change your prayers from, Lord, please help me in my financial situation to, Lord, thank you for showing up in this situation. I don't know how you're going to do it yet, but I'm ready. I don't know how it's going to look, but thank you for meeting me in this moment. God, thank you for what you're going to do in this church. I don't know how this is going to look. I don't know what things are going to look like next week, next year, But thank you, God, for how these next years at Legacy Church are not going to look the same. Not better, not anything like that. 
different in line with what God wants to do in this season. God, thank you for the season that you're about to bring to this church. I don't know what it's gonna look like, but thank you that you're gonna show up and thank you that you are going to use this church to reach our city. I don't know how it's gonna look. This, this church could be full of people who slept on the street last night, filling up every single pew in this place, coming to faith in Christ. If it looked, I don't know, it could look like that. We could, we could be converting nuns in this place. I don't know. Like, whatever it looks like, I don't know. But thank you, God, that you're going to do something. And that position of expectation begins to unlock the keys to open up the miracles of heaven to flow down to earth. There's power in expectation. Second thing there's power in, there's power in obedience. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. Let's read on. It says, uh, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremony wa ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Now, I did some math. It's about 115 liters per jar. That's not a jar. That's a, like, tank. For ceremonial washing, do I need to say more? Six of them. Six times 115 liters. If one bottle of wine is one liter, we're talking about 700 bottles showing up, bottle service style. Just rolling in out of nowhere. Don't know where it came from. It's about what's... Get this. Jars used for ceremonial washing. I'm not going to do the mental image. But you're washing yourself, preparing for the ceremony in these jars. Now, I hope they filled it with fresh water. But it's like taking the baptism tank after revival and saying, let's make something to drink out of this. Do you understand how ridiculous this sounds? Do you realize how heavy these jars were? The fact that they call them jars makes you think like, two of them, right? No, these things are massive. Fill the jars with water. So they fill them to the brim. Okay, so fresh water, we're good. Something tells me they didn't have, you know, Clorox, though, to clean out said ceremonial washing basins. Fill them with water. So they filled them to the brim. Fill them with water. So they filled them to the brim. Nothing about this request by Jesus makes sense at all. It actually seems kind of gross. <laughs> Furthermore, can you imagine, like, picture youth group days saying, hey, pastor, 
you know our baptism tank that we use, you know, dead to sin, alive in Christ, very spiritual moment. Can you imagine saying, I got this great idea for youth event. We're going to fill the thing with Kool-Aid and drink it. Or like, picture the communion chalice, you know, like those things at the front, right? Can you picture saying, hey, pastor, it's my 40th birthday. Can I borrow that thing to put some beer in? Taking some photos with it? Like, these are, these are sacred items that they're using. Jesus, like, do you realize how much is jam-packed in this? He is saying that the things that you value as sacred and that you put all your religious stock in, I actually think they're just vessels. They're just tools. They're not holy. What makes them holy is the power that flows out of them, not the item. The holiness is in the act. The holiness in, in communion comes from the act of doing communion, not the vessel in which you had it through. Crappy wafer with the thing you can never peel off, little communion, you know, whatever, cups, like gold thing, bucket, doesn't matter. Nothing's more special or holy about it. They're just vessels. And this tells me that God will use any vessel to accomplish his purpose. So, obedience is the key that unlocks miracles because in this moment I'm saying, Jesus, I know you're new on the scene, but you realize this could tick a few people off here, right? I remember I got in trouble, big, big time trouble, because we were having a band practice at my at church I grew up in and we had pizza boxes on the communion table. I didn't think anything of it. Um, we got in a lot, a lot of trouble. Jesus is essentially saying, putting these servants in like danger zone for ticking some people off. So gives them the instruction. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't seem relevant. It may sound stupid. And what do they do? They don't just fill them with water. What do they do? They fill them to the brim. When Jesus gives you a command, do you do the bare minimum or do you do the max? Do you, when Jesus says, I want you to give over and above your tithe, do you do 10.1%? When Jesus says, I want you to go bless that person who's in need right now, do you bring over the cheapest home-cooked meal you can think of? Or do you bless them with something special? It's not just about being obedient to a T, because that's what the Israelites and the Pharisees were all about. Let's be obedient to the technicality. And Jesus is saying it's not about the technicality. It's about the heart. These servants are saying, I feel like there's something shifting in them, saying, let's fill us to the brim, because something's about to happen. If you're doubting that something's gonna happen and you're thinking you might look stupid, you're not filling it to the brim. A lot easier to carry. Hey, why don't we just fill one of them halfway and see what happens? 
And then we'll come back and do the rest that the miracle worked. And Jesus says, nah, it doesn't work like that. You're all, either all in on it or all out. Because this isn't about the miracle. This is about obedience. So they film to the brim. And I, they've got to be thinking, this is stupid. This is stupid. But that is exactly how our God works. When Jesus wants to show up and bless you and take care of a miracle that you've been asking him for, it may look stupid what he asks you to do. It may not make any sense. It may look crazy, but that is exactly the method in which Jesus chooses to pour out miracles in your life. He takes the things that um, don't make sense and he uses them for his glory. Obedience is the key. And what we see by these servants is that they're willing to be obedient. One of the things I was wondering about Actually, let me tell you a story. There was this, um, this story that came out in the news. Um, and uh, about maybe six, eight months ago, maybe you heard about it. There was a lottery ticket worth $70 million that had been issued. And nobody had claimed the prize. $70 million. And um, they eventually tracked it down. It was bought somewhere in Scarborough. And so it's all over the radio and like, you know, with every sort of um, lame kind of pun joke, like check under your seats, check under your no, tables, you might, have a, you might have a few. People call around, hey, did you, did you ever buy a lottery ticket in the last eight months that you maybe forgot? Like $70 million unclaimed left not kept. Not captured, not gathered, not claimed, not taken home. And now forgive the bold comparison here. <laughs> it's a bit of a stretch. I wonder how many miracles have been left unclaimed in our lives because we weren't willing to be obedient to the thing he asked us to do. Whatever he asks you to do, do it. And he said, I want you to do this. And we say, not that, Jesus. And the miracle sits there, unclaimed. Because we weren't willing to do the process. Did you know the process is much more important to Jesus than the actual miracle itself? your relationship through the process is much more important than the miracle itself. Dare I say it's actually the point. We put so much stock on the miracles that came or didn't come. I think we missed the point. That it was all to draw us back into relationship with our creator. That he would show us his goodness his kindness, his graciousness, his generosity. That's the point of this, is that we would see that. I can't tell you how many times personally I've been in cried on the floor of my little home office with my wife 
saying rent's due tomorrow and I have no idea what we're going to do. I don't share this to, to get a pity party by any means. Um, the last nine months have been tough. Um, when you're in ministry full time, um, finding a job is, is hard because it's not just taking a job. It's getting behind a vision of a church. It's integrating your family into that church. It's believing that this is going to be a place where your family can thrive. It's believing that this is a place that honors the same, like, you know, we joke about church shopping, like, narrow down church shopping. Like, we think about trying to find the perfect church. And I'm going like, and I take the kingdom work of ministry way too serious to go be a part of a church's vision to reach a city just for a job. Take it way too seriously to do that. And it's meant some hard things for our family, some hard sacrifices. And almost bi-weekly, we find ourselves on the floor going, God, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? I can't tell you how many times the answer he speaks in that moment is not, don't worry, I got you. It's go bless somebody else. It doesn't make any sense. And as a direct result, I can tell you one story. Someone in this church, actually, the Lord just led me for whatever reason. I don't know why. Sent them a text. What's your email address? And they go, blah, 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 blah. Cool. Send an e-transfer. $100. You know, a week later, someone walks up to me at a worship night I did. Says, Lord told me to give this to you. It's for $1,000. And I go, I told Kyle, I go, that was a direct result of our obedience. Like, direct result of that. Now, I'm not saying that that's the model. Because if we get into a model of that, and that's what some of the prosperity preachers do, they treat that like a model. We've gone and done the complete, we've undone the whole process again. Because it's what is God asking you to do? Whatever he tells you to do, do it. It's not a model. It's not one that can be followed and it's not even one that we can tangibly, but I can see patterns that when we are generous, he blesses us. When we're obedient, he meets a need. And so many of us fail to see miracles in our lives because we're not willing to do what the Israelites did, looking like idiots walking around the walls of Jericho for seven days and then yelling at the walls, believing that they're going to come down. Or we didn't think we needed to actually go bathe seven times in the river. Or we stopped pulling, pouring out oil because we thought the jar, we didn't have enough jars for it. Or we took a couple loaves and fish and thought there's no way it's going to feed people. We'll feed the amount that I think we can and then we'll stop there. 
Whatever he tells you to do, it may look stupid. It may not make any sense. But whatever he tells you to do, do it. Because obedience is the key to God showing up for the things that you're asking for in your life. And I'm telling you, he wants to do it. And that message preaches great in theory. But what do you do? That's where I want to close. You can come on up and play, Linda. What do you do in the middle of the process? I want to watch. We're good. Thought we we're gonna to have to pray a miracle over my iPad there for a second. It's a glorified Netflix watcher. Um, now, the basins full to the brim of water. They've been instructed by Jesus to go to the master of the banquet, head table. And maybe, you know, if there's a Bible scholar in here that's like, well, it's not exactly like that. You get the picture. Master of the banquet. They're carrying the water. These are servants. Low. Master of the banquet. Can you imagine going to the bride on her wedding day and saying, excuse, one, of the, one of the bus boys going, excuse me, um, Miss so-and-so. Um, hey, uh, this guy told me to come bring this to you and this miracle is going to happen. You go, what, the, what are you bothering me with this for? Don't you know what I'm going through? Maybe it's the third day. Maybe the father is kind of like, hey, get this show on the road. Um, they bring the basins to the master of ceremonies. At what point did this turn into wine? Still water. We don't know. But then again, we never really know exactly when the miracle comes. I can't tell you how many times I thought the answer to prayer came. I'll tell you a story, actually. I played a worship night uh, probably about six months ago. The night before rent was due. I didn't want to be there. I was tired. And I'll be honest, I had a bad attitude. Because I'd invited all these musicians to come play and agreed to pay them an honorarium. And then I found out what my honorarium was. <laughs> and it was... I was going in the red on this one. I said, Lord, you're going to have to move. It's okay. I'm here. I'm here for you. Good ministry is going to happen. We're good. Guy walks up to me and says, I need your email address. I need to send you an e-transfer. And he had gotten some product at the table. So I figured it's just for the product. So I'm usually easy going. If you don't have cash and don't have the card you want to use, and just here's my email address. Send me an e-transfer later, whatever. Um... So I'm expecting you to transfer for this. He goes, I want to bless you. Okay. I appreciate that. Thank you. So I opened my email about an hour after I left. I'm going to use the amounts because this is significant. A $2,000 e-transfer came in. I thought, what in the world? Okay. I call my wife and I'm freaking out. 
Remember how we said we didn't know how we we're gonna pay rent? We're good. We're good. And she said, are you hungry? So I said, one of my things after ministry day, I love to go find a little corner booth at a pub and watch football or something just by myself. Like, don't bother me. Just wanna eat chicken wings and be on my own. So I go and do that. I check my email again. There's another e-transfer for $2,000. I say, surely this must be a mistake. He must have sent it twice. But I looked at the message. He goes, transfer one or two of two. I thought the miracle already happened, but there was more. This is where it gets crazy. I wake up the next morning and there's a 30 transfer. He says, I woke up this morning. The Lord told me to bless you again. Now, I'd love to say that we were able to renovate our house with that. No, we got to pay off all the money that we already owed. And God met us in that. But when does a miracle take place? At what point do we know we've reached the finish line? Because there's a tension we're all walking in right now. I'm going to close now. I'm getting into Pastor Matt territory of timing right now, so edit that out. There's a tension we walk in when we're holding on to water but believing for wine. Can you imagine the fear? If this does not work, I'm going to look stupid. You're walking. You're looking down going. You know, Jesus actually didn't say he was going to turn into wine. He's holding the walk. He gave him an instruction. He didn't tell them how the miracle would come or what the miracle would be. It comes with every step forward I can imagine the shaking and the Lord revealed to me the Lord revealed to me actually this is exactly what you're walking through right now holding on to water believing for wine there's other people in the room as well you're shaking going this better work gave me an instruction I'm trying to be obedient still water still water still water he reaches the master of ceremonies put that scripture up that last verse uh, maybe the one before it actually yeah the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine and not realize where to come from. Those servants who had drawn the water knew. They knew exactly what happened. He called the bridegroom aside. Let's read on. He said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. Hello. But you have saved the best till now.
I'm telling you, the best comes. the end we want it on step one two three four we want little bits of wine we want to see it starting to turn a little bit we would even we would go with a cheap merlot after step one like a four dollar we hey we go with the fake stuff and then it starts wouldn't that be better if we could slowly watch it turn into the better thing. No, no. At the end, water, full miracle. Because our God is a God who wants good things for you. But more so than he wants good things, he wants your trust, he wants your obedience, and he wants to be part of the process. That's what all this is about. That we would know our creator and our savior and how much he loves us. There's a tension in the waiting. There's a tension that hurts. But dare I say the tension is part of the process where we allow Jesus to walk with us. Because here's the difference. We don't walk this tension out alone. The Holy Spirit guides our steps and he walks alongside us. And when we feel tired, we can say, Holy Spirit, I'm tired. I can't do this anymore. He goes, I got you. Keep walking. I got you. Another step, another step, another step. My question is for you today. Are you willing to do the ridiculous in order to see the power of God manifested in your life? Embrace the tension. Embrace the unknown. Embrace the uncertainty. Because in it, you will find a God who is crazy about being in relationship with you and who wants to know you and wants the best for your life. This morning, I want to end this way. I'm not going to end with a song. I, um, there's nothing special about this space here at all. Nothing special about it. Call it the altar. I'm like, it looks like carpet. But there's something that happens when we walk out physically and we take a step in the physical, what we're saying in the spiritual. Call that your first step. Call that grabbing the basins and prepping them. Call that be the first step of expectation. If you're here this morning, you're saying, God, I need a miracle. I need you to show up. I need you to do something in my life. Maybe I don't deserve it. Maybe I should have planned better. Maybe the master ceremonies, maybe the, they should have planned better for this wedding. But God, I need you to show up. I want you as a step to say, God, I don't know what you're going to do, 
but I know you're gonna do something. I want you to get up out of your seat. I want you to come down here this morning. I want you to walk out that tension right now in this moment. I want to pray over you. And I believe that in this moment, there's going to be a step closer. Yeah. There's just something so special about physically walking out in an act of faith. So Father God, we pray all across this room today for the miracles that we are in so desperate need of. Pray for your power to come down right now. Yeah, pray for restoration to come and miracles of restoration to come. Yeah, God, we pray for miracles of freedom and hope to come. Miracles of open doors to come, Jesus. Yeah, I pray for miracles of restored relationships to come in this place today, God. Pray for more miracles of freedom across this place today, Lord. We're walking it out today. We're, whatever you tell us to do, we'll do it. Pray for miracles of grace to come over this room this morning. miracles of unnatural peace to come today, God. Pray for miracles of provision to come today. Yeah, miracles. God, we pray for miracles of open doors. We'd walk into purpose, walk into the things you've created for us. God, we pray for miracles of strength today in the name of Jesus. Whatever these miracles are across this place, God, you know. And whatever you ask us to do, we're going to do it. Whatever you ask us to do, we will do it. Nothing is impossible for you, God. We lift these needs to you this morning. We lift every burden in this place that's represented. And we ask you to do what only you can do, Jesus. Show up, meet needs across this place. Do whatever you want to. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Everybody said, amen, amen. I believe in for God to move in power in some of these places today. I cannot wait to hear some ridiculous stories of some things he asked you to do. My encouragement is as you're walking this through, journal it, share with somebody what God's saying to you. Thanks for listening. To hear more, subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on our website at lgcy.church.